Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech Africa series. I'm Rudy Fala, the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors, incumbents, and ecosystem hub leaders from Africa. And this episode is hosted by Patrick. Welcome to another exciting episode of our Voice of Fintech Africa series. This time, we have Mary Mwangi, who for many years has been right in the thick of it. I'm talking payments, banking, fintech. And she's now innovating around payments for public transport in Kenya through her company, Data Integrated Limited. She's got big plans for Africa too. So welcome, Mary. Thank you very much, Patrick. For our audience, What's your background in fintech in general? I know I can't have covered everything in my intro. Basically, my a bit of my background, what we didn't even know it was fintech. What we were trying to do in the beginning was just to digitize and automate payments for the small businesses. My background comes from being in accounting, in working with different companies to help them move from legacy systems into more enterprise-based systems. And so wanted to apply that base into uh, the African market and help the SMEs transition to a more digital and automated payment platform. So mainly that's what my background has been. And then in the last, I'd say eight years, nine years, we've been working, trying to build the FinTech ecosystem here in Kenya and to help integrate the systems currently as they are using their mobile money, the scheme cards, and then bringing in the small businesses into these digital uh, payment, mainly working within the transport sector. That's nice. So would you say that's data integrated core business? Would you say that's what... Okay. So what other businesses data integrated engaged in or what other tributary businesses that does that involve in general? I think when you look at payments and you talk about SMEs, it's really about a broad spectrum of different businesses here. But then due to the nature of how we as strategically placed ourselves, we can say we've managed to have three verticals. Like I say, in public transport, the other one we've dealt with is the retail systems and then the logistics of that. So we take the retail and the public transport because both have a requirement on logistics and we add that. And so our system can also be used in retail deliveries. So that's basically where we are concentrating our efforts and resources at the moment. That's interesting. So... As an organization playing in that space, what's your outlook on the trends in other countries outside Kenya? So I know you're, you're, you're quite active in the Kenyan market, but uh, digitizing transport payments is something of interest in other countries too. And I know you're interested in what's going on outside of the Kenyan space. What's your outlook on the trends generally, especially in the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic? 
I think uh, what we are seeing mainly, not just in Kenya, but also in other markets, is the fact that there's a big push to go digital and to automate. But mainly, it looks like it's mainly the push is coming from a regulatory point of view. Like you're seeing the cities coming in and trying to modernize their transport by bringing in some type of mass transit uh, system within those cities. And those are the ones that are successfully going digital or going cashless. But when you look at sub-Saharan Africa, you're finding that most of the transit systems are actually fragmented and they are privately owned. And this is hard to say that you want to bring digital payments, which bears a cost during the COVID pandemic time. And because of the uh, lockdowns and limited limitation in movement for people also, you're finding that most of the public transport, small businesses are not ready to invest. So in a way, it's like a catch-22. They know they need this uh, digitization, but they can't afford it because the business is down. So that is what we're seeing right now. Unless now the governments come in or there's some kind of formula to assist in going digital because of the cost of it, I don't think we're going to see a lot of the transport payments in the region going digital. Some countries successfully did it. You've seen that in Rwanda. You see a bit of it in the metro transit, like what they did in Dar es Salaam. But yeah. most of these other places, it's going to be difficult. Small businesses are just not ready to impone the automation. And this is being seen across. The people are pushing it because they don't want to use cash, but the systems just aren't there. Interesting. So it sounds like regulators in Africa or in most of Africa are more supportive of digitizing payments around the public transport sector. But to what extent are the regulations themselves a hindrance uh, to your progress? So the regulator might be supportive and might have the will, but the regulations might have caught up with, with the reality on ground. So to what extent is that also happening? Like I mentioned, I think the cost of digitization, there needs to be some kind of incentives, maybe some kind of subsidies for the companies that digitize. I feel like they need something to make them want to do this. It's very clear to the regulators, the benefits of digitization. It's also clear to the SMEs, but more so the public because they don't want to use cash. But then, like I said, the reality of the moment is businesses are suffering. Mm -hmm. And because they're suffering, any type of investment beyond just surviving is very difficult to implement at this moment. So is the regulator hindering process? I wouldn't say so. I would say what's lacking is the financial support or push that the ecosystem would need to actually adopt it. And remember, to push for digital payments, you also have to market, you have to educate the public. That costs money too. Mm -hmm. So is that initiative and the involvement of uh, the private sector also and the regulators together to see how this will be done. And I'm not seeing that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a collaborative process indeed. Uh, so what sorts of partnerships is data integrated reliant on to deliver on your objectives? Wow. 
I, I, I like to say we need the whole village to do this. What we found out in dealing in a system where you're actually building the infrastructure of the system from scratch is that you need all the stakeholders in the system to be part of it. So the partnerships start right from the drivers, the conductors, the bus companies themselves, the owners. You need now to come in where you need the regulators, you need the partners for delivering on the payments. It's a lot of these partnerships and other key players that would also help that you have a symbiotic relationship. For us guys, uh, we had this agreement with uh, some of the banks and some of the mobile money providers, but more so we also gained our partnership with Toyota, who also is in the transport businesses. By pro They provide the assets, which are the vehicles, and then we're trying to see how by working together, we could both all benefit mutually. Interesting. Are you guys raising any money? Well, yes, we are. We are currently trying to raise our, finish our pre-seed and then move to Series A. Yeah. And so we've been trying to do this, I'd say, in the last nine months, to, to be precise. And it's not as easy. Most of the investors want to see your projections. They want to see what your historical financials look like. And that also sometimes, because of the stage we are at, is seeming a bit difficult. Well, it's, it's, yeah, I, I'm sure it is, especially now when demand for money is high, but the risk appetite is low. But if you were looking for an investor, what would you be looking for in them? Like, because it's also a mutual engagement. They have yeah. certain requirements they're looking for. And what are your requirements for a suitable investor or a fitting investor? And how would you quantify the business opportunity for anyone out there in our audience who might be interested by what you're doing? I think when we are looking for investors, first of all, in the beginning, we were saying we were looking for patient capital. Being in Africa and being in different stages, you find that the returns that you want to deliver, there are too many obstacles on the way to, to keep a precise timeline. So you need to have, I feel like we need to have investors that are able to look at this and are in it for the long term. That's one of it. We also have a social aspect to our solution and how we approach our development. So we would also like investors that also we are aligned in that, that they see that the business opportunity also has some kind of social responsibility towards the community. And then when we talk about the business opportunity that is available, we feel that it's quite large in Kenya alone, if you're looking at what the market is actually doing, you're finding that a lot of the different companies that are in fintech, hundreds or thousands of millions of dollars, because they're seeing that market. But for us, when you look at Kenyan market, and we're looking at how many people are using public transport, and we find that public transport in Kenya, you have about over 9 million people using public transport between the different cities in a day. 
you're looking at the population of the East Africa region, which is mainly where we are planning to be implementing most of our public transport solution in the next year or two. Mm -hmm. And the population there is of almost 190 million people that you're talking about. So mm -hmm. the enormity of these public transport solution, we feel that it's quite large. If you look at Sub-Saharan Africa, you find that our business model works a lot in the informal sector. So we could be looking at our population of over seven, 800 million people, which to me, I'm not saying we will capture all of it, but we could even look at capturing even 20% of it and having partnerships with the others. And this is quite a huge opportunity just in public transport alone, not to mention the yeah. other solutions that we want to implement. That's fantastic. I would invest if I haven't, we already have a relationship through the, our board of trustees for one of our companies, Imaginary Holdings. So I'm quite familiar with the things, the interesting things that you're doing in the space. And I would definitely encourage investors out there to uh, have a look. But speaking of a conscience and speaking of partnerships, you were, uh, recently joined the board of the newly established Association of Fintechs in Kenya. And I've been interested to know or learn what the merits of consolidating at that level, at an association level with other fintechs are, and what strategies that uh, the association has to mobilize the participation of fintechs in Kenya. I'm a fintech as well in Kenya, and I'd be interested to hear how I could be involved or what strategies the association has in place to reach out to the likes of us, just in case there's another member of our audience who's, who'd, who would be very interested to join. Well, I'll let you explain. Okay, so the Association of Fintech in Kenya is part of a bigger chapter. We felt that in Kenya, we did not have such a strong fintech association. And so this is actually the brainchild of Ali, Saying who actually started this. He was like, we need to have an organization that we as FinTech can go to that is also engaging the government and other stakeholders. And then we also wanted to be part of a bigger chapter, which is the Africa FinTech Network. So by creating this, we actually are able to tap into not just the uh, associations of fintechs in Kenya, but in, in a Pan-African way, we are mm -hmm. able to join in that chapter. So for membership, if you want to do membership, I believe right now we are not charging to be a member. You just go onto the website and you register mm -hmm. and then someone will be in contact and tell you how to be a member. But the main thing is to look out the, after the interest of fintechs. And this is by engaging the government and other key stakeholders within the industry. And also to share, to network among ourselves. That's really interesting. Would you also say that it would be very beneficial in terms of aligning the standards and best practices across the industry? Because you have a lot of us players doing more or less the same thing, but doing them differently. You, you find some other people are good at the lending business, but other people have better like ethical practices than the others. So would that also be a part of this uh, kind of dialogue? Is it like trying to see how we can standardize our practices and have some sort of self-regulation? 
I think there's an aspect of self-regulation, but I wouldn't say it's the key thing. I think it's through the networks and trying to learn from each other. We want to help the fintechs rise. And so by creating this, it's like creating a tide that will bring all of us. That's awesome. So I guess it comes anyway through the peer mentorship kind of platform that you guys are developing. That's 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 cool. So how would you promote, how would you, how would you rather propose that regulation can improve growth or to foster growth in Africa in a nutshell? I, I think we are having a lot of good uh, vibes from the regulators in Africa. I think it was just today that I was reading that the Uganda Central Bank has created a white sandbox for fintechs to actually use and try to develop their products through that. I think those types of engaging situations are wonderful. You are also seeing a lot of push to electronic transactions by the banks. There's also the plan of having common markets within the the regions where you're having regulators come together in the West African side, you're having the East African ones come together. And so this reduces the go-to-market within the regions where you don't have to go to each regulation just to make sure that you're compliant. So I believe there'll be a certain standardization of the rules and laws among these uh, countries. So that makes it much easier. I also feel that most regulators I have dealt with, especially in the Apex banks, they are actually being more supportive to fintechs. That's excellent. Now that fintechs have basically an open field to play, what gaps or opportunities in your view do you think still exist for other players in the African payment space in general or fintech space uh, in general? What Where are the gaps in your view? To me, I, I just think we are just starting to scratch the surface when it comes to payments and this sector. As, and what I am seeing, if you're talking about gaps, I see that there is a big space for fintechs to play. I think the banks and the telecoms are starting to wake up to the essential roles that the fintechs are playing and engaging with them. So I do see that as the partnerships are growing between the traditional payment players who are the banks and you could say the payment companies like the telecom mobile money companies, where they have this infrastructure that fintechs can come in now and build a second layer. I'm finding that while there are services out there, if you look at the amount of automation in these transactions between the banks, between the businesses, or even the consumers in general, there is a lot of uh, work still for us to do to make sure that these transactions or these engagements with these old banking setups or the traditional payment setups need to do to make these uh, transactions flawless, to make the consumer experience more easier for them and also security in the payment space. There is a lot still to be done. There is still a large number of unbanked people out there Mm-hmm. And even if you're talking about, I don't know, when we talk about banks, 
sometimes you just does that person have an account instead of what services are these people getting? So mm-hmm. I feel like we might be able to move to the 2.0 of what does unbanked mean? You know, it just doesn't mm-hmm. mean to have an account. It means mm-hmm. to have these people being active in the financial space, mm-hmm. benefits that they get. So when you come to that part where we are able to have enough data to these kinds of services, I don't believe that the current system is actually started or even is at le- it's less than 10%. When you come to looking at these services serving the public, yeah, and so the big space there, yeah, the pie is large for sure, and we all know we can all agree that this sort of like proliferation of Africa's payment space has been a pillar of our development in say in the last decade or two, and we ought to give credit to this sort of boom, if I may say, boom in Africa's payment space especially in financial inclusion, like you just mentioned, a lot of people who didn't have anything like a banking service now have at least some basic form of banking services or payment services, from, right from mobile money to your mobile wallet. And, uh, but we, we can agree, as you've just said, it's not enough. For, for, it's not enough just to include Africans into modern payment systems. How else do you suggest, and this is just an open question, how else do you suggest that our payments industry can support our broader development? I'll give you one. For instance, I think the way our payments is evolving is bringing transparency into other sorts of departments that is very necessary and the kind of trust and transparency that is necessary for us to grow as an African economy or as a Kenyan economy. How else, what are some of the ideas that, you know, that come to you as you do your work of how payments can be used to bring develop payments for development? I think we have to be very careful with payments because there is, I feel like there is two types, two ways we can do it. I feel like we could get it right or we could get it very wrong. And when it comes to how do we get it wrong, I can just mention where you're seeing, and there was a lot of these cases where there was easy loans, very small micro amounts of money Mm-hmm. being given to the people without the proper education of the people of how they are consuming this money and how they were paid back. And True. you find that everybody out there has some kind of mobile money loan or they go into these other predatory lenders that are out there. And in the name of financial inclusion, there is abuse of that. So I feel that the regulators need to step in in some of that in in the way we are going to be running this fintech space. Also, there needs to be some kind of regulation and kind of accountability built into the system, how we're doing this. And one of the things um, that's very good about and I will just talk mainly about Kenya, is the entrepreneurial spirit that most people can go out and start a business and be able to to cater for their family needs or whatever else that they have by just being these kinds of entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. you know, or doing these small businesses. 
when we come in and we say, okay, let's create a digital payment, let's create this kind of payment system, we have to be very careful because some of these symbiotic uh, relationships the codependencies of these businesses within their community might be destroyed. You have the guys who are the agents, you have the supplier, this guy depends on this other one, and they've built this culture around that in yeah. those communities. And so by coming in and I say, I'm going to digitize everybody, I'm going to get rid of the middle guys, I'm going to get rid of the agency system. There is a codependency that's there. We could be, yes, we could be destroying that. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, we have these companies that come in and they say, we're going to digitize all these small businesses and get rid of the middleman. But the middleman makes his living out of it and it's the way they work. So we yeah. have to look, see what's the mutual benefit of this middleman guy. Do we want to get him completely out of the system? Then what happens to him? Who gets that benefit? Someone is getting that. Or is it the savings? Does it help grow the community? Yeah. I think those are the balancing and studies that we need to look at because we've seen companies coming in and saying we are helping the farmers or we are helping this person, but it destroys the ecosystem. Yeah. It destroys those communities. And that's what I'm saying. We have to be super careful, even as fintechs, we need to study and understand the social aspect of what it is that we're trying to disrupt. Yeah, you, 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 that's an interesting statement that you just made about disruption. It, disruption should not be at the cost of everything. Yeah. It should be sustainable development, even in payments. And payments should be a force for good, not a force for, for the negatives. And it should be a force to protect the society and develop the society, not destroy it. So I really, I can, re I can definitely relate with that. And yeah, I would want, I would want to know what other advice you would have for one of our, any of our listeners out there considering your career, a, career, a similar career as an employee or as an entrepreneur. Fintech is a buzzword right now, but how can you relate it to that person who's interested in what fintech is and what kind of gems would you have for them? Yes. My advice changes every year, sometimes depending on the experience or the days that whatever is going on. But I would say that it's much easier now to be in fintech than before. The rules more clear. So there shouldn't be, there is more, what is it, structure and also support. And the systems have developed more. So it's a really good time right now to be getting into the fintech space. But also uh, just know that things take time. Yeah. Nothing works in the timelines that you project. If you're doing your projections and you're putting timelines on it, uh, don't do that until you have all your licenses. True. Well, fintech. yeah, I'm sure the... The coaching sessions can take forever, but I think you captured it quite well when you said good things take time. And as long as they do the work and they're persevering, I mean, they, have, they can persevere and they can persist, it'll take them a long way. So I'd like to just leave it here and say thank you so much for uh, this conversation and for joining me on another episode, another interesting episode. And we hope to have you on the show again 
And how can someone reach out to Mary Mwangi if they had a question, a burning question that I didn't have the opportunity to take on their behalf? What are your social media, your websites that, that you can actually, if someone wanted to reach you directly about investment or anything or collaboration? They can check our website, which is datainterrated.co.ke. And they can also reach me through communications, datainterrated.co.ke. Anyone wanting to reach me, they can reach me through LinkedIn. My name is Mary Dashmwangi. They'll be able to um, leave me a message. I usually respond to LinkedIn quite often. They can also reach me through our office number, which is plus 254-711-520-705. Again, the number is plus 254-711-520-705. And our website is dataintegrated.co.ke. Well, thanks for that. And I uh, look forward to having you and following, uh, having you back on our show and following the data integrated story as you continue to disrupt and innovate around the payment space as you always have. Thanks a lot for your time, Mary, and I'll see you again soon. Thank you. Always a pleasure talking to you, Patrick. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.